I heard the foul language behind me as I was sitting there at DFW Airport. I had been gone for a couple of weeks at school, and I was on my final flight, just waiting for that flight to, to, to board that flight and to head home, and I was catching up on a few emails, um, trying to get a few things finished up, kind of over in the corner, and behind me, I over, overheard a word, a, a word that... I personally think should not be spoken in public, uh, a word I would get on to my children for and uh, get on to them quite sternly, actually, and be surprised that they even spoke such a word. And, and so the word caught my attention, and I turned my head like this, and I looked behind me, and I saw three young men. And those three men were sitting there, they were looking on their phones, and they were talking to one another, oblivious to uh, the world around them, uh, perhaps didn't even care if there was a world around them, and uh, in my opinion, their language reflected that. And it distracted me a little bit and perturbed me a little bit, and I thought to myself, you know, if my children were here, I might say something to these guys, but it's really okay. Uh, I don't know what the rules are on the pro appropriate language you can use at the airport is, uh, but I'm the enforcer of rules in enough worlds in my life. I'm not going to have to enforce the rules here. As long as I don't have to sit by these guys on the plane, everything will be okay. I look at my boarding pass, row 23, seat D, and I start walking down the aisle of the plane as we're getting on and lo and behold as as I'm trying to calculate you know the number of rows okay right up there oh row 23 seat E row 23 seat C and B oh those guys are on the same row as me and and also in front of me oh how how inconvenient <laughs> I get my headphones ready I Slouch over. I'm next to the window. I kind of turn my, my shoulders like looking out the window. I'm ready to kind of put up this, this wall here so that I can just do my own little thing on the last flight home at 10 o'clock at night. They shut the door to the cabin. We realize that the plane is not a full flight. These gentlemen want to sit together with a friend or something. So, so they end up moving forward several rows out of earshot of me. And I say to myself, yes, thank you, Lord, that you have taken these men and put them in some other place. Amen, right? But what if, what if perhaps God wanted somebody to minister to these gentlemen? What if beyond the veneer of language, there was an openness to the gospel, an openness to God's power, his love, his goodness, even an openness to just a word from the Lord, or maybe just an exposure to someone who is a follower of Christ? What if God wanted to use somebody to minister to these men? would he have been able to use me? Last week, we actually read this uh, exact same text, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, and we studied the text from the perspective of 
the Ethiopian. Well, today we're going to look at the other character in this story, who is a man by the name of Philip. A couple of chapters earlier in Acts 6, the early church chose seven men to oversee the daily distribution of food to the Greek-speaking widows. There's a, in the growing of the church, this was a ministry that was getting overlooked. And so the apostle said, well, choose seven men among yourself. They have to be full of the Spirit and they have to be full of wisdom. And so the people picked seven. The first of those seven they chose was a man by the name of Stephen. Stephen was a man full of wisdom in the spirit, and he was pick, looking for a fight. He ended up fighting against the religious leaders of the day and ended up getting killed by stoning uh, in Acts chapter 7. And so that's what happened to the first of the seven that got chosen to serve. Well, the second of those seven was a man by the name of Philip. And while Stephen's story begins and ends in Acts chapter 7, Philip is next in Acts chapter 8. After the stoning of Stephen, the followers of Jesus realize that their lives are in danger, and so they scatter like cockroaches all over the land around Jerusalem and Judea. But they don't travel quietly. As they go along, they share this good news about Jesus, about who he is, about what he has done, about what has happened in their lives as a result. Their hearts are full of God's love, and that fullness is spilling over onto the people in the villages surrounding them. This is not a small thing. Philip ends up going through Samaria. Samaritans and the Jews had hated each other for centuries. The rivalry was 700 years old. There were wars and fightings about who the real Yahweh was, where the real temple is, and who could lay claim to being the true people of God. Jesus had been denied welcome by the Samaritans a little bit earlier in the book of Luke, who did not allow him to come into their village. At that point, two of Jesus' disciples, John and James, said, Lord Jesus, would you like for us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? And Jesus rebukes them. My hunch is that Philip is traveling through this land of Samaria en route to Caesarea, where eventually he will spend most of the rest of his life. My hunch is that he has places to go. But even in the midst of this animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans, Philip goes along preaching the good news of Jesus to these Samaritan people. He believes that the gospel and the good news of Christ is greater than the division that separated these two groups. And what's crazier than that is that the Samaritans believe Philip. They believe God. They believe the word. They believe in Jesus. They believe in the kingdom. The work that God is doing through Philip is bearing fruit. Back at headquarters, the apostles hear about this news of the Samaritans. And they have to go see it for themselves. And so Peter and John make their way to this Samaritan village. John, the very same John who said, can I just call down fire on them? Will you just let me do it, please? Is the same John who comes in 
sees the work of God among the Samaritans and ends up laying hands on them. And instead of calling down fire, calls down the Holy Spirit upon them. I can imagine John laying his hands on these men as an act of solidarity, a conversion not only of the Samaritans, but a conversion of John himself, seeing that the very Spirit of God is being poured out on these people that were very unlikely in his mind. Earlier in the book of Acts, Jesus had promised that his followers would be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Four geographical areas. Well, the gospel, as we see, has bridged this Jewish-Samaritan divide. And who would be the person to do it? Not the twelve apostles, but this man by the name of Philip. He is like the Lewis and Clark of the gospel message, pioneering the good news to the most unlikeliest of places, going where no evangelist has ever gone before, going to where the 12 had not even gone. And so if you're making a little checklist and you're checking off the places where Jesus is telling them they will be witnesses, you can check off Jerusalem. You can check off Judea. You can now even check off Samaria. There's only one more promise that needs to be fulfilled, and that is the ends of the earth. Well, who in the world would be qualified to do such a thing? I now want to invite you to envision this Ethiopian riding down that desolate, dusty road in his chariot, reading his Isaiah scroll. Here is a man who is traveling to a place that is known as the end of the earth, as Ethiopia was known to be. There's literature that supports that that's what the Roman world thought of Ethiopia, the end of the earth. This Ethiopian is a seeker of God. He had been to Jerusalem. He had found his experience in worship lacking. And he was returning really without the best news he could have. He did not know about Jesus. He did not know about what God had done through Jesus to fulfill the very scroll of Isaiah that he was reading. Now imagine the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the three persons of the Godhead, having a conversation with one another. I just envision them kind of looking down on a map and saying, um, this Ethiopian, he's getting away. And we don't have an agent within 40 miles of him. How in the world are we going to get to him the good news about Jesus? If only there was somebody who was, I don't know, full of wisdom, maybe full of the, the Spirit, if, if only there was somebody who would, would be willing to just get down there. Who, who could such a person be? I know. Maybe Philip will do it. Maybe if we tell Philip, he will go. Let's, let's send an angel to go and see if Philip will go do the job. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So Philip got up and went. Isn't that beautiful? The amount of time between the command and the obedience is almost zero. In the Barclay house, the time to issue a command and get obedience is always more than zero. 
What an amazing man. Why Philip? Well, not only because he is full of the wisdom and spirit. Why Philip? Not only because he is a gifted evangelist. Why Philip? Not only because he knows how to speak to people who are different than himself, as he's already proven with the Samaritan. But there's one more reason for why Philip. And that is because Philip is not so dead set on his own plans, on his own schedule, on his own preferences. In other words, Philip is willing to be inconvenienced for the sake of the mission of God and for the sake of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. He's willing to be going one way and allow God to reroute him and detour him by a significant degree to another place, knowing that God's plans are greater than his plans. If that means walking 40 miles out of the way at the command of an angel, so be it. And thus we have the inconvenience of the gospel. You know, many are willing to give of our money for the mission of Jesus. Many of us are willing to give of our pre-scheduled time for the work of God's church. Many like to engage in structured relationships with well-defined boundaries of homogeneous people groups like ourselves. But how many of us are willing to sit by obnoxious people on an airplane? How many of us are willing to allow the detours of our life, the inconveniences of our life as possible God opportunities? How would you describe inconvenience in your life? When does that get triggered for you? We are not all called to be the same caliber of evangelist that Philip is. We might not even be called to pioneer our faith into unknown and hostile people groups. But I cannot help but wonder if God would want to use us as little evangelists. People who are sent out from this place to spread little seeds of good news all over Lubbock County and beyond. People who are willing to let God use us in our little corner of the world. Because if God is going to get the right people in the right place at the right time, He's going to need us to be a little flexible. He's going to need us to yield our plans, our schedule, our convenience to Him. We will need to pause in those moments of awareness and instead of just saying, how inconvenient, to say, God, are you up to something right now? Because this was not my plan. And he'll use the most random things to get you and me in places that seem random. And so my challenge to you this week is this. The next time you find yourself around somebody who rubs you the wrong way, or the next time you find yourself on a detour of your own plans, or if, if things are not fitting into your schedule as you thought they should or would, pray to see if God is up to something. 
God may not command you to walk 40 miles south of here, but He might give you some other opportunities. It might happen in the elevator or on traffic or walking across campus, on the bus. It might happen in the waiting room. And yes, even an airplane. It could happen around town. It could happen right here in church. A lot of opportunities, even in this room. It could happen in your neighborhood. In these moments of inconvenience, let us consider that God may be calling us, like Philip, to give up our plans so that God's plan will prevail. Or maybe, maybe your ministry of inconvenience is on Thursdays from 3 o'clock to 5 o'clock at Bayless Elementary. There are children who will gather there this coming week. And beginning on September 12th, our church is committed to meeting those children there on Thursday afternoons. We need people who are willing to be there by 3 o'clock, get set up. Children come in around 3.20 or so. They leave around 4.30 or so, clean everything up, and then leave. Is it possible that that is God calling you to go south to 58th in Avenue U? Does that fit into your schedule? I don't know. Is it inconvenient for you? I don't know. I'm simply inviting you to pray about it. We as a church have committed to it. We're looking for about six people who are willing to do it. Maybe God is leading you. Where is the Spirit moving in your life? The ministry of inconvenience. You know, Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch came together for such a short period of time. It may have only been 30 minutes that they were together. They had known each other from before. They never saw each other afterwards. And yet that 30 minutes made all the difference in the world. All because he was willing to let God reroute him. All the, because he was willing to allow what was convenient to him and lay it down and yield it to the mission of God. May we hear the Spirit speak to us in the same way. Let us pray.